Hey, everyone, and welcome to A Plain Accounts Weekly Podcast, where every week we get together uh, to open the gospel lection for this week to see how God might be speaking to us as we prepare to preach to our people. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Ben Kramer. Uh, how are you this week? How is preaching through Matthew going for you? My goodness. I, I just hope that my people are as stretched and corrected as I have been going through these, these last few chapters of Matthew with going from the feeding of the multitudes, walking on water, the encounter with the Canaanite woman. I have just been wrecked by Christ's uh, integrity and, and solid foundation in God, even enough to even be checked himself and, lead the disciples with rest and integrity. And I'm, I'm excited to dive in and see how that continues uh, to, to wreck me today. Totally. It's been, it's been really great working through the gospel of Matthew and seeing Jesus as like an emerging leader. Mm-hmm. And I think here in our passage this week, we're beginning to see the disciples become emerging leaders as well as they're getting a handle on who Jesus is, what Jesus is up to and what that means for them, if they're going to continue to follow Jesus. And so I'm excited to get to our passage today. We're in Matthew chapter 16. Now the lectionary just has us reading Peter's declaration about Jesus, but I think for the sake of context and for flow, I want to track back to the beginning of chapter 16. So I'm just going to read from the beginning of the chapter through to the end of our assigned passage today. I'm reading from the NRSV today. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They said to one another, it's because we haven't brought any bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How could you fail to perceive that I wasn't talking about bread? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Okay, that was a, like a long chunk of scripture to read together, but I feel like they belong together. This mm-hmm. uh, looking for a sign, wondering who Jesus is, who do you say that I am, what's that all about? Um, and then this crucial confession from Peter. I, I, think, I think that all of this brings us to this, this place in Jesus's ministry where he's testing the waters to try to understand what do you understand as he's asking the disciples. Yeah. Um, as, as we get to that moment of confession, it feels honestly to me sort of like a DTR conversation, like where are, where are we going? What's happening here? Who, like, who do you say that I am in this kind of, um, uh, do you understand what we're doing? Do mm-hmm. you do you get who I am and what this is all about? Like, I remember from my days as a, a writing instructor, I would set like a timed writing assignment at the at the first day of class, not because it was a test in any kind of way, but it was a a, a temperature taker. Like, it it gave me a sense of of how students were responding to certain prompts or certain skills or like that sort of thing. It was a benchmark, I guess. And I don't know about you, Ben, but that's how this feels to me. This moment feels to me because Jesus is about to start talking about death and resurrection and cross and and some like really, really heavy stuff. And I get the sense that he's trying to test the waters to see, are you with me? Can you hang? Does that make sense? Mm, Yes, absolutely. That's, that's really good. It it feels like more of a question of allegiance, like Mm -hmm. this, who, who do the people say that I am? And I'm sure we'll get more into the context of where they are, you know, in this place of Caesarea Philippi. But I, I really do affirm what you just said about this, this determining the relationship, seeing how firm and solidified and centered they are on who Christ has come to be. Because that, that phrase, uh, this flesh has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And, and I, I really feel like that's less about like, the world hasn't revealed this to you. Only God has revealed this to you. I think Jesus is really, again, pointing to his humanity, that it's not, not just me on my own. Like what you see from me reveals God and what God reveals you can see in me. Uh, God and humanity are one in Christ. Um, So it's not just, it's not separating the two of them. It's more a Christological statement that it's not just the flesh, but it's God, how God has been revealed through this flesh that Jesus points to himself, you know? Yes, I think that's important too to hold right on the heels of all of the rumors saying that Jesus is Mm -hmm. another prophet, right? Right. Prophets, as we understand in the biblical tradition and the Hebrew Bible in, uh, in Jewish culture and practice, were those who had a word from God to share with the people, or sort of a bridge between like, the, the way that God sees the world and the way that humanity sees and operates, right, and helps mm-hmm. kind of bridge that gap together. And so I think in this moment, this like Christological statement that you're saying um, is also affirming that like, I'm a different kind of bridge between mm. the word of God and the people of God, right? Um, it's not just another prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah or some kind of like new version of John the Baptist, um, but a similar but different thing. It's yeah. like a yes and, you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's different to be, um, gosh, what's a good, I'm, I'm a pastor and I should come up with a metaphor just like that, but I'm, I can't, so bear with me. It's different there's a difference between being uh, a chain link and an anchor. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so like the, all these prophets are, are links in this long chain from the first Moses, you know, all the way down. Jesus is the anchor upon which all of those prophecies are not only fulfilled, but stabilized and galvanized in the ministry, life, death, and resurrection of this son of God. Totally. I love the image of the anchor. This is, this is then what Jesus is saying to Peter. Like there's a, there's a new anchor or mm-hmm. it's not really a new anchor. It's, it's more of the same. We're connected to the previous, the, the previous chain. And yet Jesus is in some significant ways doing something new. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, there's a lot that's happening here. And this particular read through of the gospel of Matthew has me thinking about a bunch of different kinds of, yeah. things. um, I, I think maybe for our textual scholars, uh, among the, the mix, I think it's important to remember that each gospel account has some nuances and some differences. Um, so in my mind, this like confessional moment is like merged. Like I have Matthew's account merged with Mark's account merged with like all of these other moments throughout the gospels where we, we have this really pivotal scene in Jesus's ministry. But I actually refreshed my memory of like what's specifically in Matthew's gospel. And um, this is the first, this is the, the first and only time um, in, in those accounts where Jesus uses the phrase church or this image of the church, mm. the community, the called out people that are going to be built on this, going to be built on this confession. I find that really, really interesting. Um, and and I, I just feel like Jesus is doing something here. Um, and Matthew, as he's telling the story of Jesus, is doing something here about the formation of a community that is confessing Jesus and following Jesus yeah. and committed to the way of Jesus. Um, yeah. How does that land with you? That, that's, I think it lands right in line with, with the whole narrative of the, of the text here. I'd love to hear you talk a bit more. I think about. I didn't think we were going to be so nautical here on our on our <laughs> episode today, but I, I really do think that like the chains with the anchor and the, and if you would point us towards maybe the the sign of of Jonah because they they start off with uh, that ancient sailors you know phrase that red sky at night. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. And so they're looking for this trajectory of like, where is safe travel? And then Jesus responds with, you're not going to get that sign. You're going to get a sign of of Jonah. So if you'd unpack that, because they're next to, you know, even, even in this contextual space that they're in there's a river and a spring and you know we'll get into the how that's connected in a minute but I think we need to start with what he means by this sign of Jonah yeah I I was fascinated this week I I first that's one of the reasons why I wanted to read the whole passage together because Mm -hmm. as I was reading Matthew's gospel and he calls uh Simon son of Jonah and I guess I hadn't remembered I I always hear like like uh I, I don't know, um, Simon and Andrew and some of the other ways the disciples are grouped together, but I guess I forgot that Simon's the son of Jonah. And I, I find that a really interesting link in the chain. We've got sign of Jonah and then son of Jonah kind mm-hmm. of connected together. So just like had me curious and wondering. Um, yeah. And and uh, I, I think we, we, can, we can 
remember the reluctant prophet that is Jonah. He's the one who's like called to bring the good news to an evil city. And he's convinced that they're like too evil, too far gone. Nobody's going to listen. And also he hates them. He's not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, ew, gross. I don't want to do that. So he decides to run away. um, And then in the midst of his running away, like he gets thrown overboard into the ocean, swallowed by a giant fish is like, in the belly of the whale as like those kids songs go for like three days and then eventually he's vomited it out onto shore um that that uh this this is the sign of jonah it's not it's not a very pleasant one (laughs) Uh, this isn't jesus saying consider the lilies yes If, 20, if 2020 was a book of the Bible, right? <laughs> just go to Nineveh already. Whoever needs to go, just go. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah. And so uh, I was, I've, I've been rereading Stanley, Stanley Hauerwas's, um commentary on Matthew. Uh, here's, here's what he says about it. We should not be surprised, therefore, that many of us in this adulterous generation, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, ask Jesus for a sign from heaven. We want a sign that can be recognized without the necessity of our lives being turned upside down. But Jesus refuses to give us a sign other than the sign of Jonah. That sign is the sign of death and the defeat of death. Jonah was swallowed by the fish and lived in the darkness of the belly of the fish for three days. The fish was unable to digest Jonah, vomiting him out as God's reluctant prophet. Jesus, too, will be subject to death. But death, like the fish that ate Jonah, will be unable to digest the very Lord of death who faithfully does the Father's will. Uh, That's uh, from Stanley Hauerwas' commentary, and I'll post that on our Facebook page if folks want to refer to that. But that just has really been echoing in my mind as I think about like what Jesus is doing here and then the place where they are as Jesus is having this conversation. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is a hub of um, empire worship. Uh, At the time, it's full of pagan shrines. It's full of uh, just the forces of the empire. Mm. one of the things I found really interesting in my reading is that one of there's, there's like an underground spring um, that has some kind of uh, mystical devotion among the people at the time in first century. Um, and there, there was this, this perspective, this, uh, this devotion to this shrine as like an opening to the river Styx, which leads to the underworld uh, or Hades as our scriptures is translated at least in the nrsb right now um and so i find that really interesting that in this place where there's a kind of like window into the underworld or the world of death jesus is talking about the sign of the sign of jonah this kind of like resurrection image um i i don't know i don't there's uh, some half-baked thoughts on tuesday morning but it it feels kind of significant and absolutely yeah well, because if you're, man, my, my brain is just like popcorning into ideas. First, offshoot, get it out of the way because it's random. But I wonder how much the ancient sign of the fish is connected with this sign of Jonah, the ichthus. Yeah. You know, because this, like, they would draw that in the sand as a sign that this is the community that is being de- 
being devoured, you know, all day. There's just so much there. But that connection with the river Styx, I think, is super significant because, of course, what does the underworld represent besides death? And that not even like the gates of death that we are always fearing to even go into or knock at the door of that, that the church will prevail even against that, that place of death that devours, that has such, you know, acid. If you think of um, the digestion process that oxidizes and completely diminishes anything that the church will subsist through that. If we continue to follow the one who has conquered death, or, right, you know, who will conquer death in this passage on the cross? Right, and this is this is the 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 glimpse ahead of time, the imagery that Jesus is using before he begins to talk about death and resurrection. Mm. Um, as Jesus is is trying to say, this is this is our mission in the world: is to proclaim the good news that the reign of God is here and now, and it's for you. And that means that death is being transformed into life; that death no longer has a hold on us; that we're free from the forces of sin and death, from those those powers. And Jesus doesn't diminish them; they're forces to be reckoned with. But Jesus is the one who is reckoning with them, so that they no longer hold sway or hold power and that and that is then the foundation on which the church is built the community of god is the community that says because god is moving all creation to new creation death doesn't have a hold on us mm -hmm. death doesn't de death can't keep us down as i was thinking about the sign of jonah this week i was also um listening to science friday on npr as one does um and i so learned oh my god that's so nerdy <laughs> uh, that's fine whatever um i i learned about this uh this ecosystem in the amazon that has a frog that particularly loves to eat a certain kind of beetle but this beetle has evolved and grown to like combat this consistent predator in its life by just getting like a really tough skin and it's really fast so it just sort of wiggles its way through the digestive system of this frog yeah. and then ends <laughs> pooped out on the other side totally fine <laughs> so he's like figured out a way to deal with this like uh, okay the beetle's not going to beat the frog mm -hmm. but the beetle can work its way through the inside and end up totally fine out on the other side <laughs> oh my gosh. um and okay this might I, this might just be half-baked crazy thoughts on a Tuesday morning, but part of me thinks like that's maybe an image for the mature confessing church, mm -hmm. that the empire and the forces of death are, are going to be a consistent predator in our, in our lives, but yet through persistence to the way of Jesus, to nonviolent resistance, to confessing Jesus as Lord of death, we, 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 find, we find a way to resist and to move with resilience through mm -hmm. the forces of empire. That might, that might be a really big stretch, but I, I don't know. They've, they, I, can't, I can't get away from these two really disparate images side by side and, and have this sense that they belong together and have something to reveal to us. No, I absolutely agree. Like you've set my imagination towards, you know, the psalm that, that Jonah uh, confesses in the belly of the, of the fish and how the church is called, you know, to not, maybe it's a new take on, um, on what uh, the scriptures say about you are, 
in the world, but not of the world. Mm. More of like you are, you can be devoured by the world, but you're not going to be digested by it. You're not going to be overtaken by it. And part of the church's call is to faithfully go through that fixed on Christ rather than being you know, overtaken by, by the world and, you know, fuse the world's agendas with the agenda of the, of the kingdom and, and, and all of those things. I don't know. Those are some of the things that yeah. you're, you're having me think about right now. I, I mean, because perhaps this is a significant force of Jesus's teaching, or I've done some significant work with the book of Revelation and, and the persecuted church mm-hmm. or, or the church that lives in a space of lament or a space of exile as the, as their fundamental reality is that they they don't belong to these forces of empire in the mm-hmm. world and and their their full allegiance is to Christ. Yeah. Jesus is Lord not Caesar, yes. right? Is yes. is their fundamental core identity. So part of me wonders whether whether a significant understanding of that is like expect to be devoured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just just recognize that this is the reality in which you live and also you live in this transformative reality that is that is actively reshaping the forces of death and the forces of empire in the world to a new kind of reality Mm. like this is the reign of god in the world a reign of light and love and peace and justice and and this is where jesus says like the the forces of hades or, or these forces won't prevail against that like like ongoing movement of God in the world. And the church is a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Gosh, that's so good. That's, that's so good. I think it, at least in thinking of how this applies today, I, I just think there's so much that we can, we can learn from that example because there's a lot of things that vie for us to name Christ in a particular way. If you're a Christian, you'll vote this way. If you're a Christian, you'll support this party's agenda. If you're a Christian, you won't support that. You know, there's there's all of these things that are calling us to name God in Christ in particular ways. Even conspiracy theories that would have us believe that God is moving in a particular way. And so much of those conspiracy theories are are spouted by Christians. Christian people. So like, what are we being devoured by? And are, are we allowing that sort of allegiance to Christ to be propelled by those things rather than see the, what we're being devoured by through this uh, lens that says, no, we've been entrusted by the power of God through Christ Mm -hmm. Jesus, that we will go through these gates, not be compromised or syncretized by them. Yeah, and and the way through is a confession of and commitment to mm-hmm. Christ. Right. And, and and the way of Christ, the way that Christ has modeled um, peace, uh, um, reaching out to the least and the last and the lowly, um, a, a a a complete and radical commitment to the other. Right. Um, and. And this this sort of enemy love. This is this is the way that the people of God. Um, get rid of enemies is they turn them into friends. They mm-hmm. turn them into mm-hmm. loved ones. Like that, right. like that's the eliminating enemies that Christians do is mm-hmm. through the force of love that converts them into part of the family, part of the community. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think especially as we read Peter's confession, I'm, I'm 
reminded of Bonhoeffer's confessing church in Germany um, in the time of, of Hitler when uh, the Lutheran church was co-opted by national identity. And in so many ways, the German church was deeply theological, was deeply mm-hmm. scholarly, had significant historical roots. Like <laughs> it's, German is one of the languages that you sort of have to study in advanced seminary work so that you can right. read these significant theological works in their original language. And yet even all of that, they were still co-opted by this intense, uh, evil nationalism um and and so bon bonhoeffer's faithful community considered themselves the confessional church the church was that was always going to be confessing christ as lord and not caesar Mm -hmm. or anyone else in caesar's name um and and so as i think about like our current climate and reading um peter's confession i i just hope that that all of our individual local church communities are becoming confessional people mm-hmm. um, that we're on the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, um, the way of light and love and peace and justice. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, cause I think that's the, that frames the call of the church that Jesus has for, uh, for Peter here, that the son of Jonah, you know, one who may, uh, the, the foundation of the church is built upon people who, may try to run away from the call who may, you know, despair in God being a forgiving, incredible God, you know, one, one who will uh, try to try to um, co-opt the Ninevites for their own agendas. You know, this is the foundation upon which the church has been given this authority through, through Christ. And so this, this fixed focus on who Christ has uh, been, you know, been in the world that we are to confess that Lord over our lives is one that we still need to understand today. Who we say Jesus is yes. shapes the kind of church that we will be. Yes. And so, so then we, we keep doing the work that Jesus has given us to do, to read the signs of the times, to identify ourselves as not belonging to the forces of empire, the forces of death, but instead belonging to the reign of God mm-hmm. um, and the reign of life. Yeah. Um, and so, so we, and, and then the way that we read those signs is always through the person of Jesus. Um, so that as, as Jesus has moved his disciples from uh, looking for a sign and paying attention to like a concrete confession. And then further in the next, in the succeeding chapters, Jesus is going to start talking about death and resurrection and the way of the cross and all of that sort of stuff that, that, that he's, he's helping them develop an imagination and a way of seeing the world uh, that, that is, is properly attuned to the way that God sees and, and to God's heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the sort of work that they'll be doing in community together and that I hope our communities are continuing to do together. Right. Absolutely. I I, want to, before we move on and conclude our conversation, I want to just speak a little bit about um, Caesarea Philippi and along with the river Styx and this cave that is a source of one of the sources of the river Jordan where John the Baptist did his prophetic work. Jesus was baptized. There's also a, a lot of uh, etchings that are still here today to the pagan gods of, of Greek mythology and things like that. But also Caesarea Philippi is where uh, Herod established and dedicated um, places of worship, but also commerce 
it's a huge area of trade for that that region for Gentiles um, that that Herod set up for uh, for one of his relatives named named Philip, um, and so you have this epicenter of economic trade, political power, and mythological theological power. So it all comes to the head right here in Caesarea Philippi. So there's really no better place to ask this question. The, the Gentiles say the power, powers that be are in this way. This is their, their road to the underworld. We're standing right here in front of it. Also, the people who are Israel have these certain narratives that are going on as well, who they say that I am. And then this fundamental question in the midst of that whole conversation, all the voices that are going on right now, but who do you say mm-hmm. that I am? And that to me is such a powerful image and in the onslaught of the information technological age, where we are just screamed at. It's not just a dull voice or whispers. We are screamed at on a day-to-day basis through our screens of who we are called to be, who we, the agendas we're supposed to pursue, and even co-opting Christianity into those things. So who do we say Jesus is? Because how we answer that will give us a clear course of direction down the river as the church of, of keeping our confession and our eyes fixed on Christ. Yes, I love that. And also like it's so important because it, even in this, in this chapter, we have the Pharisees and Sadducees contrasted with the disciples, yes. right? The people who are supposed to know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the keeper of knowledge, the educated uh, ones in, in, the, in the law of God and in the scriptures, and yet they can't recognize the work of God that's happening among them, mm-hmm. right? And so, so it's, this, it's this consistent call to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to constantly have um, that openness to that revelation that right. Jesus talks about. Jesus says to Peter, like, this, is, this has been a gift to you from from God that you've been able to see clearly. Jesus is kind of forever going on about the ways that they can't quite see or they don't quite get it, but there are these moments of clarity that Jesus calls out and says, yes, this is it. And so those then become our anchors that we hold on to. Like we know who God is as revealed in Jesus Christ. And that becomes the anchor in the kind of people that we grow to be. Mm -hmm. Um, That that as, as we continue to follow Jesus, we find ourselves continually more and more undigestible yeah. by the empire um, yeah. because of our commitment to nonviolence, because of our commitment to enemy love, because of our welcoming posture, because of our attention to those who are hungry and hurting and poor and lowly in all of the ways that Jesus has modeled to us mm. time after time again, right? That, that the, our refusal to play the empire's game makes us undigestible, yeah. right? Um, and so those are, those I think for me are really convicting mm-hmm. um, handles on this passage. That's so good. It makes me think too of like, who's the one who said that? The mm. disciple that said that. The, the first one that was called, Peter, has been with Jesus the longest. We are in chapter 16, seen, witnessed all of these things. He's taken every podcast tutorial course from Jesus, <laughs> you know, he is the longest running student of Christ and witnessed these things, has gotten it wrong in some places. And even in the next few chapters, we see how he, he excels at calling Christ God and then excels in mistakes too. So like this, this really even picture, like poor Peter is 
you know, the whipping post of several, especially John, you know, the whipping <laughs> post in these gospels, but it's because he's been with Jesus the longest. And so there's this accountability that's held with his standard, but he doesn't come by this confession that Christ is Lord or the son of God by accident. The Holy Spirit doesn't just pour this into his head. No, it's, it's this ongoing, substantive, present relationship at the feet of Jesus, studying the scriptures, witnessing the movement of God, that he can't do anything else but confess Christ to be the Son of God. Like, he is, he is at the mercy of that confession, not just, I'm saying this because I have been instantaneously changed and inspired by Jesus. No, it's like all of these things have connected and said, I there is, there's no other truth. Like you are the son of God. And so I think it's so important for the church today that we, in our instantaneous age of information, we're not just going to come to that understanding of Christ in an instant. It takes faithful, substantive, dedicated, humble, self-sacrificial, loving work to come to the point of saying, Jesus is the son of God. And we need to put in that time rather than be co-opted by all of these know wind and waves that can toss us about in an instant moment yes I'm, there's i feel like no better place to end because later <laughs> later we'll 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 see there there are other moments where where jesus's teachings get really hard mm-hmm. uh, really difficult really tough and people leave people don't follow yeah. and he turns to the disciples and he says are you going to desert me too right. and peter says where else would we go where right. else would we go? You're the, you are the one. You're yeah. the one we waited for. Mm-hmm. You are the son of God. Where else would we go? Right. Um, and so I guess our, our final word of blessing or encouragement here is, is to, to our pastors and preachers, continue to keep in step with Jesus, continue yeah. to show up to do that like difficult and faithful work, trusting the spirit is growing that ability in you to interpret the signs um to speak faithfully to confess boldly to to show up on the way of the cross knowing that it's the way of light and life um and love and peace and justice um it's, it's a hard task but we're in it together and as the community of god our like faithful right. confessing church and so we pray for all y'all preachers as you're doing the work that you can confess boldly this week um and and that you continue to invite your people to do the work of interpreting the signs um of keeping their eyes fixed on jesus keeping in step with the spirit paying attention to the reign of god in the world amen thank you so much for the conversation today as always yeah, thanks for putting up with our half-baked thoughts. Uh, we invite you to go check out the website. We have stellar commentaries as usual. Um, follow us on all the socials. We'll post a couple of the of the quotes or links that we referenced um, in the podcast over there, usually on Facebook. So find us there. Leave us a review if you found this resource helpful. We're grateful for that and the ways that it affects the algorithm. So thanks for tuning in. Preach boldly. We'll see you next week. Peace.